what my coach would always do is if I ever got a mental block, if I had the luxury of not being in a competition or something, he'd say, go take the day off. He's like, you're done. Your mind is overthinking and questioning your ability. And he'd say, take the day off, go have fun, get your mind off of gymnastics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of You Think, brought to you by Audiorama and our friends at Invisalign. I hope you guys have enjoyed the journey so far. We've had some awesome conversations, and we're just getting started. And, and this week's no different. And as we prepare for that, obviously, March Madness is upon us. That's kind of the, the news dominating the headlines today. Um, you know, since I was a kid, I remember those days of, you know, waiting for the weekend, waiting for March Madness, filling out my bracket, you know, competing with my friends and family, my parents, they'd let us each, you know, in those days, you didn't have an app. You know, in those days, my parents would print them out and they'd pass it out to my brothers and I and our friends. And, you know, we'd go through with a pen and cross it out. And, you know, half the time, you didn't even know who the schools were you were choosing. You know, it was just part of the experience. And then you'd sit there with that piece of paper on your lap and you were praying that you're upset. You know, you picked a 13 seed to win and you were praying, you know, praying that Davidson or one of these sleeper George Mason was going to upset one of the power five schools. And, you know, March Madness has always had such a, a cultural impact on everyone, you know, every year, this time of year. So it, it's fun to now have that energy back um, post COVID, just allow everyone back in the stadium. And, you know, I think the thing that we forget as fans, you know, as we're sitting there cheering for the upset and we're sitting there cheering for that, that underdog win is for these kids on the court, these kids that we're watching compete and play, yeah, this is one moment in time. This is this one weekend of the Sweet 16 or, you know, the Elite Eight. But this has been a lifetime of preparation, a lifetime of practices and workouts, high school ball, you know, youth, youth sports, all building up every college basketball player's dream, male and female, is to one day make the March Madness bracket get on those games and see how far you can take your run. And, and what's so unique about the format and what makes it such a, a spectacle and makes it so interesting to the viewer is there is no best of five series. There is no, oh, I had a bad night. I'm going to come back the next night. and We'll start all over the NBA playoffs. You know, you see the same thing with, you know, major league baseball playoffs. There's something about the finality of the March madness tournament that just brings out everyone's best. And I think when you talk to these players and you spend your entire life working towards one goal and it's upon you and you know that there is an end game, you are one bad night away from that being over. That magical run could come to an end at any moment. Players feel that. They feel it inside. I, I know personally my whole life playing football, the goal was to win a Super Bowl. So 2015, we go 17-2. and two. We went uh, 15 and 1 in the regular season. We won our first couple playoff games, so we're 17 and 1. We go to the Super Bowl, we get one shot, and we absolutely stunk. We laid an egg. And I remember walking off the field and walking into the locker room and in my mind saying, "We don't get to do that again. We don't get to run it back. We don't get to play next week and try to tie it 1-1 and play best of 3." There was a finality to that experience. And an experience that I waited my entire life for, and it was over. Well, we're going to watch that over these next few weeks with March Madness. And there's a, there's a performance anxiety, right? And I mean that in a positive way where there's such an eagerness, there's such an excitement for these players. And the teams that do the best and the teams that handle it the best have players who handle it the best. 
And there's no magic formula for dealing with pressure. There's no magic formula for dealing with high intense situations. Very, you know, when all everything, you put all your chips in the middle and it's go time. And one bad day, one off day isn't happening in front of the world. You know, we all remember Chris Weber and the timeout. He's never lived that down. I mean, there's moments that we all remember that had ended iconic teams in the March Madness NCAA tournament bracket. And I think our conversation this week was very, was very timely. And we had an opportunity to speak with Olympic gold medalist Sean Johnson. Um, she told us her story of history of starting out as a young child and working her entire life in the gymnastics world. And for anyone who hasn't followed it, I think you'll get a lot of really interesting insight from our conversation with Sean and hear about the sacrifice and the commitment and everything that went into it. And Sean talks about what it's like walking out onto that Olympic stage, knowing this is the moment I've worked my entire life for. And these are young girls that are experiencing this. You know, they're 15, 14, 12, 13, you know, they're young girls. We saw it happen on the biggest stage in the last Olympics with Simone Biles. And, and Sean had some really interesting insight into Simone and how much she really championed her and her ability to take a step back and say, I'm having a weak moment. I need to let my teammates take charge. So I just think with, with, with the, the moment that's on us and as fans, we're going to sit there and we're going to cheer and we're going to contradict and we're going to condemn these players and you played bad, you missed the game-winning shot. I still think we have to remember that, yes, it's a sport. Yes, we are passionate. We are fans. But these are people, these are young kids that are out there living their life's goal. And for one team in every game, they're going to have a, a roster full of kids whose dreams come to an end. And I think that's a really powerful message. And I think the perspective that Sean Johnson had on this with her experience going through the Olympics is super timely. It's super relevant. And I know I enjoyed our conversation thoroughly. So on the next episode of You Think, brought to you by Audiorama and our friends in Invisalign, I bring you a conversation with Olympic gold medal gymnast Sean Johnson. I hope you enjoy it. I remember watching Sean in the Olympics in 2008, shared with her some stories about watching it during training camp, and it kind of brought our days to our long training camp days to an end, cheering for America, cheering for our athletes. And the highlight of the Summer Olympics to me was always the women's gymnastics. I, I just always thought it was such a fascinating feat, what they were able to do, their mental toughness. Hearing Sean talk about the impact that her parents had on her life from a young age. Here she was, a six, a seven-year-old young girl, who really had a passion and a strong desire to pursue elite competitive gymnastics. But then she also had parents who at some point made some tough decisions and would have to pull back and say, that's too much. We're not going to go that far. And she reflects back and she's so thankful that her parents made some of those tough decisions, especially in those early years, to keep that balance, to keep her happy, to keep her just a normal young kid until it just got to the point where they knew they couldn't hold her back anymore. And obviously she went off to Olympic gold medal stardom. Sometimes parents need to come in and have those conversations with their child. And, and through our friends with Invisalign, we understand just how important those conversations are. For over 25 years, Invisalign has been the number one most trusted brand in their space. Over 12 million smiles have been transformed and a lot of that is just through the confidence, through the dialogue and the conversations that parents all over the world are having with their children, having with their doctors, and letting them know that this is the best thing for you. This is the best thing for your future. And we are so proud to have a partner like Invisalign to not only be our sponsor, but they're our partners. They have been with us every step of the way from launching You Think and going on this crazy journey of exploring youth sports in America 
to share a common passion and a common mission with Invisalign to impact the youth of America, to impact the youth around the world, to help families make difficult decisions, to help families answer the tough questions, and just to be great partners side by side as we take this journey together and explore all the crazy, the good, and the bad that makes up this world of youth sports. So on our next episode of You Think, I am thrilled to bring you a conversation with Olympic gold medalist, Sean Johnson. Well, Sean Johnson, obviously your presence here today and, and you taking some time to chat with us here on Youth Inc. is a huge treat. So first and foremost, thank you. Thank you. For, of course. My thank pleasure. You for being here. I, from the beginning, as we were mapping out Youth Inc. and wanting to tell this story about the journey so many different athletes and so many different families have through the world of youth sports. And we were looking into different areas and different sports. And, and you were a name that we've, we've always had from the beginning as we mapped out our season one, just because I think not only your perspective now as a mother and, and you're you know, obviously very involved with your family made platform and, and sharing you know, resources and tools with other families around the world, but also obviously your very unique background and your you know, competitive gymnastics and, and the success and, and everything that you had. So as, take me back to the beginning and, and something we talk, to, we talk about with all of our guests and a big issue that we have in youth sports in this country. I know I go through it with my children is the pressure of performing. Mm -hmm. And it's something that everyone thinks differently. You know, even adults really struggle with this concept. I know towards the end of my career, it wasn't something I don't know if I ever truly mastered. But now here you are from a very young age in the world of competitive gymnastics where you are forced to perform. Mm -hmm. And that pressure is huge at a very young age. Just take us back to those early days, how it all started. You're six years old. You're spending hours upon hours at the gym. Just give us a little insight about what that journey looked like from the beginning. Yes. Um, I pray that it's not the same with my daughter, but I'm sure it will be. Uh, so <laughs> We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually started in gymnastics when I was two or like 18 months old because, as you probably know, I, I was a wild child, as all kids are. And I thought I could fly. I wound up in the ER multiple times with staples in my head because I thought I could flip off the second story banister and I climbed on top of whatever, whatever it was. I was just such a wild child. And my parents put me in ballet or like a little dance class and I got kicked out because I wouldn't listen. So they found gymnastics and it was this padded playground where I could do whatever I wanted and I came home and I was exhausted and I would nap really well. So my parents fell in love with it um, and I fell in love with this just playground where I could go and be free and kind of just fast forward year after year. I was a kid who tried every single sport and my parents didn't care what I did, but they just cared that I was in something. Um, and so I would overload my schedule with like track and field and dance and soccer and swimming and um, classes at school, math, you know, what's it called? Like math class or whatever. Um, and ultimately, I just, gymnastics was always my favorite. And I loved performing. I was, a, I was a terribly shy kid when I was little to the point where I couldn't speak to people. I was so insecure. I was so shy. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends. I had trouble socializing. But gymnastics was a place where I just flourished. I had so much confidence in it. And I think it was, it was that balance that kind of kept bringing me back. 
So because of that, I, I loved performing. I loved feeling superhuman because almost in every other aspect of my life, I wasn't. Um, so I think the performance side for me, I started performing at a very young age and competing and I just loved the drive of it. I loved kind of living a dual personality life and it, it kind of, it helped me in my, my other aspects of my life. It's really interesting. And, and you brought up your parents and, and the parent child relationship in, in all areas, but really in youth sports, again, it's something that I deal with coaching my kids team, you know, when to push them and challenge them, but also when to let them just kind of find their own way and kind of find yeah. their own path. So you mentioned your parents <laughs> drop you off at two years old because they want to get you out of the house and they're tired of you jumping off the, the tables. But at what point did this become the Sean Johnson ship? You know, at what point <laughs> did they say, yeah, I know at two years old, they're driving you back and forth. You don't have a ton of control over your life and yeah. your activities. But when did it become like, hey, mom, hey, dad, I, I don't need you to put, this is something I want to pursue. This is not something that I'm feeling external pressure. This is something internally that I feel safe. I feel at home. It's an outlet. Like when did, did you, were you young? Were you so young, but were you old enough that you could process those emotions? Yeah. So I was kind of the, like as far from cliche story as possible as it was, like as I could be. Um, I feel like we see reiterated over and over and over again, kind of what you're alluding to is that story of like parents pushing and parents really wanting success for their child. And it's a very, very long story that I'll try to summarize. My parents did not come from normal lives at all. They, they had very, very harsh and hard upbringings. And my parents ended up getting married at the age of 16 to kind of get away from their hard upbringings and so when they had me at the age of 32, they, they waited that long to have kids. Their, their only goal for me was that I was a normal child, that like as balanced, as normal, as average as anybody could ever be, because that's not what they were and that's not what they came from. And so they were as far from like pushing parents as you could possibly imagine I just had an undying passion for gymnastics and that grew very rapidly, very early. And I would just beg to go back to gymnastics. And again, I think it was a lot because of that shyness that I kind of suffered from as a kid. I, I felt like a different person in the gymnastics gym. I felt challenged and I felt rewarded and I felt like I could be a different person than I was in school. And it got to a point where that passion was almost obsessive and consuming to a, to a good point. But my parents would, I would come home from practice on Saturday afternoons where I was giving up all of this time and they'd be like, are you sure you want to do this? Like you can play hooky today. I'll call you in sick. Let's go shopping, like whatever it was. And I was like, no, I want to go to gymnastics. So I, I was just a crazy motivated child and I don't know how, cause I don't feel like I am like that anymore. <laughs> what? It's so funny, balance, and you brought it up, and balance is a conversation we have with, with all of our guests. It's a conversation my wife and I have about our own children and, and where that falls. You know, we Like you said, we want them to play multiple sports. We want them to be in an activity a season, whether it's a sport or whether it's an mm -hmm. after-school activity or a club, my daughter's into, like, whatever it is. But I think the word balance there and just in hearing you just reflect back. So, all right, so you're young, you're loving gymnastics. What was the balance? What? At mm -hmm. what point were you able to find that balance? You know, I, I took my daughter years ago. She was probably three. And we went to what sounds like how you started. It was at this yeah. big 
it was an intense gymnastics studio, but they were yeah. two and they just played around. Yes. And I remember leaving and going back to my like flag football team with my, my older boy. And I'm like, if you guys think we take this serious, <laughs> yeah. down the end of the gym, I listened <laughs> yeah. to their coaches coach their middle school girls or like the older yeah. girls. Your boys would cry. <laughs> Your bo- yeah. like, you guys have no idea. So like, so in this moment now where you're this passionate young child who just has this this yearning desire to pursue gymnastics and your parents on the other end are trying to keep you in this balance and keep you in, in this well-rounded, mm-hmm. is this a balance between school and gymnastics? Is this a balance between school, gymnastics, and track and field, your friends? Was there a peer pressure between the girls you did gymnastics with and maybe the girls that you went to school with who weren't doing 30 hours of gymnastics a, a week? And like, what was that? balance what did the balance look like specifically in your life oh gosh um I think there were so many different aspects that I had my hand in and that I didn't so I would say to start my parents were very very good at the balance side and again or again I think that's just because they constantly were trying to pull those strings of I just want to keep her normal I don't want anything extreme in her life um And they didn't mean that like in a selfish way or trying to like hold me back, but they just wanted like a normal upbringing for me. And so what that looked like on their end is they held me back in gymnastics year after year after year. My coach. So how old are you right now? Like how old at Uh, at this moment? Yeah, that's crazy. Um, Five, six, seven, eight years old. So you're very young. You're in first, second grade. Yeah. But I was showing talent within the sport. And my coach was the first person to say like, she's good enough to go on to the next level to, to up her hours, to come back another day. And my mom was so strong in her, like just kind of will. And she was just like, no, I, I don't want her to be practicing with older girls. I don't want her to be practicing um, another day. They didn't want to pay the money for it. It was, it was all of these things. And they were like, no, she's not going to do that. If she wants to like do something else, we can bring up another sport or another activity but that just seems extreme for her age. And so they just kind of ran from that extreme thought. And I think on my side, um, or let me start and back up a second. I think on my coach's side, I was so blessed because my coach, to give his very long story background, he was a very, very successful Chinese athlete, yep. born and raised in China, um, did everything to the extreme, moved away from his family at the age of three, gave up sacrificed everything and that was more of a government um, system and process back then Uh, when he moved to the United States his dream was to open a gym and to raise Olympians very successful gymnasts who were also allowed to have a life which is again I was just very blessed um, to have found him and he moved um, he opened his gym like a mile from where I was raised, <laughs> which is which um, is just incredible in its own right, and we'll we'll get to that in a it's minute. It's incredible, but, yeah. Uh, but his goal was to kind of prove the entire system wrong. So the stigma and kind of the the go to for gymnasts at that age and training at that level was to train almost like forty to sixty hours a week, which is insane for an eight year old. At, at get eight out years of here. old, wow. at eight years old, and they were supposed to homeschool. They were supposed to like really not have a life as a child. And my coach was the complete opposite. And he said, I'm going to prove that system wrong. I trained three days a week for four hours at a time. I was required to attend a full day of school. I could not leave school early. That was the coach's requirement. Um, 
we could do private school and stuff, but it wasn't like a, you weren't right. allowed to do tutoring programs to sacrifice gymnastics. Yep. Um, he encouraged us to go to school dances and football, like football games. And he, he truly was like involved in your life and he let us be a kid. So I think between him and my parents, I was, I was really encouraged to have a balanced life. And what a blessing. It, it's so funny when you, when you look back into very successful people and, and you study them and someone like yourself or, you know, the movie that just came out that was very timely with, with the Williams sisters and the father who didn't want them playing competitive. He only wanted yeah. them to practice and do clinics. I, I thought that was a really interesting, you know, hindsight as, you know, just this past weekend, I spent four days in Houston, Texas with my kid's 10-year-old baseball team. I live in North Carolina. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. we flew halfway across and I'm watching and I'm thinking to myself like, are we doing this right? Like, it feels yeah. good. They're happy. But then I hear people like yourself share that perspective and the, and, the, and the Williams sisters and share their approach. And, you know, again, the purpose of this show is just to show these alternate ways of yeah. doing things and not yep. always having to accept the norms. Another really interesting issue that's happening now, we spoke with Dr. Michael Gervais, a world-renowned sports psychologist, on, on our first episode. And he said, most kids exit youth sports by 11 years old. You know, the concept of burnout. And, yep. and hearing you talk, and, and the way I've always, in my mind, I'd love to hear your perspective on burnout, but burnout seems high to me when it's not an internal passion that the child has. And when you talked about how you were just this rare, self-starting, self-motivated athlete at such a young age, it, it, to me, those are the stories that very rarely lead to burnout. Those are the people who continue to achieve it, continue to push the envelope because it's not mom and dad dropping you off saying you have no choice. It's not some coach saying, if you don't do what Johnny's doing or you're not doing what Sally's doing, you're not welcome here. And I hear your story. And to me, how do we teach young kids to find their passions at a young age while not just picking one sport, not just picking one activity? In your mind, like, what is that process like that we can encourage other families and other children that they don't have to worry about burnout because the desire to do it is self is self manufactured. Oh, um, it's hard. It's very difficult. It's so hard. It's so hard. And I've been lucky enough. It's unfortunate. It's fortunate uh, to work in the gymnastics world for a while now and to see parents firsthand kind of go through this challenge. And, I think what happens is we as parents want so much for our kids, understandably so. And I think whenever I see burnout within the gymnastics world, it's because a parent wants it for their kid more than the kid actually wants it for themselves. And the amount of times I've had parents pull me aside and say, what do I need to do to set them up for success? And I just think it's completely backwards. I, I truly do. I don't think there's any system to it. I don't think there's a playbook of how you make it to the NFL or how you make it to the Olympics. There isn't. I think what you need to do as parents is give your child the best opportunity to be exposed to the most, like, to as many different options of hobbies and opportunities and experiences and sports and classes as you can, and then let them pick. I think one thing you can do as a parent is encourage commitment because I think everything's going to be difficult. You're going to be faced with roadblocks and challenges throughout the way of anything. But I truly believe we were all given like a talent in something and it's just our job to find it. Yeah, you have to cast a wide net. 
And I, and I yes. think specialization is something, and I, I know your children are young, and I'm sure at some point they'll enter into this crazy world. And every year, I just think back to when I was a kid, and even after I was decided, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to be a college football player. I'm a senior, high, I'm senior in high school, and I'm on the track team, and I'm playing yeah. basketball. I wasn't good. Like, that was not playing those sports because I was going to continue to play beyond that level. That was just what kids did when I was growing up. Yes. You, you, you tried new things. Even if they weren't your best sport, you just kept going. What I'm seeing now is the idea of specialization, what I think the adverse effects physically and mentally of always doing the same thing, I understand. But the point that I think is so important that you make is if you don't cast a wide net at a young age, you you didn't get forced into gymnastics and then develop the passion. You cast this wide net and you found gymnastics and gymnastics in essence found you. The same thing was with me in football and so many other, you know, so many other people that I know. It's for the young kids that are pressured that you need to make a decision because you're a really good 11-year-old basketball player, and now all of a sudden the other sports stop. Well, what if at 17 you were going to be a really good basketball player? Or what if at 17, even if you weren't a good basketball player, what if that was your true love? What if that was your passion you wanted to spend 20 hours a week doing? We don't allow kids to find it. Because if they haven't made up their mind by 10 or 12 years old to get on that travel team, to get on (laughs) this elite performance team, there's a keeping up with the Joneses concept where you almost feel like your kid's being left behind. Absolutely, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. I think when people people take sports so seriously at the age of 3, 4, 5, 10, that coaches are like, oh, there's no chance for her to even start or try. It just makes me laugh because that's not how it works and that's not how talent works. And I can also speak to, like, firsthand coaching in the gymnastics world. I have seen some of the most talented gymnasts, just like natural talent, come through the sport who don't enjoy it. And they're, they just quit because they're like, this isn't it. And I have seen girls come through that sport who are not meant to be gymnasts, who end up doing so well and get D1 scholarships because they love something so much that they're willing to work through what issues arise. And I, I truly, like you said, it, it's just like you have to get out of a kid's way and let them go be a kid and let them cast a wide net and play. And you have to allow yourself to just truly find something you love because if you love it, you're going to work hard at it. And it's truly hard work that makes something successful. Absolutely. Hard work, sacrifice. You know, another common theme on our show is the, the idea of youth sports and the experience of it is not necessarily to make a living of it or to be an Olympic gold medalist or be a football, an NFL football player. That, that's not the idea of youth sports. And I think sometimes we have that backwards. In my mind, when people ask me, what, what do you want out of youth sports? My answer is always very clear. I want my three kids to pick things that they love. My daughter's needs and my son's, my two sons' needs are very different, and that's yes. okay. <laughs> if one of them wants to pursue something at a very high level and they're hyper-competitive and we're going to go, great. But the second I see that you're not all the way into it and you're not putting in the necessary work, it, we're done. The sacrifice mm-hmm. of the family is not going to continue unless it's driven by you. I will be there. I will support with you. I will take you to every practice. We'll fly to Houston, Texas for 10-year-old baseball. Yeah. But the second I think that this is more us and less you, we're done. You know what I think? Go ahead. Yeah. I would say my parents were brilliant that way. And I think it was more out of a desire to keep me home than it was a desire to keep me balanced. But they would ask me on a weekly basis. They're like, are you sure you still love this? 
And I, I think it's so easy as a kid to forget why you're doing something, especially when it gets difficult. And because kids just don't have that identity yet of like doing things independently, I've seen a lot of kids, especially myself back in the day, start to wonder, oh, my parents are really proud of me when I do well. So I want to continue that streak. And a lot of times kids can forget that they're actually doing it for themselves and start to feel like they're doing it for someone else. So you have to continually remind them. Like, I don't care if you're a soccer player. I love you. Yep. Is this what you want to do? Because if it's not it's this, so we true. can go try something else. And It's so true. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be a parent. Oh, my God. It's really hard to be a parent. <laughs> yeah. I, try, I, don't, I don't have the answers, hence why we're yeah. both, I guess, doing our own little different journey and different search. Yep. But to fit, you know, before we move on, my answer is always the same. I said, I want my kids to learn lessons through sport, teamwork, sacrifice, consequences, accountability, how to deal with failure, how to deal with success, how to be a good teammate, how to, all those common just life lessons that I think sport teaches you in different sports teach very similar lessons through different through different approaches and I want them to have a great middle school sports experience and if the ducks line and they love it and they want to do it have a great high school sports experience anything past that that's it like there's no like grand visions here that we're doing all these tournaments and tryouts and all this because I have these grand notions that my kids are going to make a career and a living playing sports and to hear so many families say oh you're not doing this because Girls soccer have a great percentage. I said, I'm not making a nine-year-old girl soccer decision with my daughter who's in third grade <laughs> yeah. who half the time wants to dress up and play make-believe that I'm somehow making yep. this investment that she's going to go play Division One soccer. Like, it's yep. bizarre to me. It's just, it is bizarre. It's, it's a very bizarre rationale how the parents put the end before, like, all the steps that would necessarily take to even get there. Well... I think it's just a misconception because the amount of times my mom, because I was so young when I made it to the Olympics, my parents were at the forefront of everything. Yep. And the amount of times they've been stopped and they, and they have been asked, like, what, what did you do? Like, how did you keep her going? And how did you keep her in it? And my mom just laughs and she's like, it had nothing to do with me. Like, I tried to pull her out of it. And it's just, it's funny for us because you're you being the same it's like you find a passion for something and a parent supports that they don't push it and I think there are parents who are on the side of it watching and they're like oh those parents must be doing it right whatever that right is when in actuality it's just the kid I mean I my daughter was signed up for a soccer class which is a joke because she's two um and I was watching it the other day and someone was with me and they're like, oh, I don't think she's going to be a soccer player. And I was like, there is no way to know. There is no way to know. <laughs> yeah, she's two years old. <laughs> two years We're old. not like, judging kids right now on their I mean, talent yeah. in a sport. It just. It's, it's so crazy. And, yeah. And I, I'm with you. I get it. I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm sure people are like, well, mom did this and dad did this. So, of course, they're going to follow those paths. I'm like, no, if my kid ever puts on a football helmet, <laughs> yeah. I could care less but anyway and, and i want to obviously talk about the olympics and some of the and some of the, the you know the the good and the bad that comes with that journey but you brought up your coach and, and liang chow and you talked about his background and him just by you know the blessing of him moving in both his you know physical location of being a mile from your house and what a blessing mm-hmm. that was at the time in your life and then also his philosophy and the ideology identified with both you and your parents like 
-hmm. just talk i I've, I've read a lot about your comments and the relationship and how that relationship grew and the coach you know we talked earlier about the parent child relationship well the coach athlete relationship is a huge factor in the youth sports experience there's yes great youth coaches and there's really bad youth coaches and then there's a lot of steps in between so i, I just love to hear and i think our viewers would just love to hear like what made that relationship with your coach the right relationship at the right time and allow you to just continue to balance being you and being mm -hmm. a well-rounded individual, but also feed this desire and this hunger to kind of reach for more within the gymnastics world? Yeah. So I think, I mean, a lot of things honestly just fell into place. So I have to acknowledge that it was just like right place, right time. But he was technically the second coach that I had. And that's funny to say, cause I was three years old. Um, <laughs> But my first coach that I had was, it was like the only gymnastics gym in town. My parents took me to it for the little classes. And my mom said she ended up moving me from that gym because their coach made some sort of offhand comment that I lacked all talent and ability and this wasn't my sport and whatever. And besides just being an angry mom of like, don't speak poorly about my child. My mom just said it was just a, it was a, it was a tone and a value issue of, you're speaking about a three-year-old instead of trying to encourage her to have fun. And she just didn't agree with it. And this new coach was building and opening a gym right down. It was actually closer to our house. And my parents switched me over to that gym because it saved gas money and it allowed me to still be in gymnastics. And she remembered meeting Liang Chow for the first time and just kind of asking him generic questions of like, why are you a coach and why did you open it? And all of these things. And he said, my goal my dream is to raise, you know, good gymnasts who are kids and who can have fun because I never got that opportunity. And their values and morals just aligned. He truly made everything fun for us. And even the hardest, most disciplined, you know, military-like conditioning and practices were made to be a game. And we got to do bounce houses and have parties and have sleepovers and he was just like, he was a father figure. And his number one goal was that you were a happy, healthy kid before you were ever a successful gymnast. And I think, I think that's what made him so successful. I think there's so many great lessons to just take out of hearing that perspective. And, you know, here he is, you know, not only raising yourself, you know, you know, helping elevate your career and, and train you, but other, you know, professional, you know, Olympians with Gabby Douglas. I mean, just Mm -hmm. His model obviously worked. It wasn't that he just yeah. captured this rare. I mean, you obviously had unique talent and unique qualities and drive, but obviously his his mission and his approach was able to be replicated. He was able to do this, maybe not to your level or Gabby, but within reason, like his model works. And I think, and again, I don't have firsthand experience, but just from from reading about the, the culture and the way things had always been, yeah. it seems to me that that at the time, especially was a very, very distinct change. That was a very was. drastic approach compared to what was happening, not throughout the world, but even just within America, correct? I, I believe so. I think he yeah. was truly the first one to kind of shift the system um, because the system was so old school for so long. It was that 40 to 60 hours. It was, you know, under eating, over training. It was all military-like like military -like thinking for a child's perspective and a child's um, training and he truly just turned it on its head 
And I remember he actually made the system pretty angry at the time because they didn't want to see us succeed because it would just up, you know, uproot the whole the whole plan. Right. But I do think there are other ways it can work. You can truly, and this sounds very dramatic, but you can like break an athlete. It sounds very dramatic, but you can overtrain them to the point of success. You can you can get there, especially with a raw talent. But you're not going to have fun, and you're going to have more injuries, and you're going to have more burnout. You're going to have more unhealthy things come from that. And I think if you look at the overall um, statistics of Chow's gym, he's very successful with happy kids, happy success stories, and probably more more retired or quit athletes than others. But he actually encouraged that. I remember he would ask me on a weekly basis, are you sure you want to do this? And if I felt like I wasn't wanting to, he'd be like, I need you to take the day off. And I need you to really answer that question. Because if you come to the gym, you come to the gym to work. Yeah. And I'm not going to force you to be here. And I think a lot of people dropped out of Chow's because of that. But it was it was a happy choice and not like a burnout choice. And, and how long did it take for you to develop that trust where you knew when he answered, right? There's, it's like when, I don't know how your children are young, but I'm sure you're, you're oldest, yeah. you're getting to a point where sometimes I feel like I ask my kids questions and the answer I get is in essence what they anticipate I think they want to say. Like, hey, you know, yeah. you really want to do this? Yeah, I want to do this. But like, do you or you just think that's the like rehearsed answer? So when you look back on those times and, and Chow's saying, all right, if you're going to show up today, we're going to work now and it's going to be hard. Yeah. If you don't want to come, that's okay. There's a trust factor there with your coach to know if I have a weekday and I'm just having a moment where I just need a day off, there's going to be no judgment. This is not going to be held against me. I'm not going to be punished. And he's not going to put me down the pecking order of his you know, prize pupils. Like, I would imagine there's a little bit of a process to build that level of trust with any good coach and their ability to connect to a player. Like, what was that process for you? Did it happen at a young age? Was there one like particular moment you remember off the top of your head where it's like, this guy's on my team. This guy wants what's best for me. I can be vulnerable. I can be honest. And he'll always have my back. This makes me really happy talking about my coach, by the way. He's just the best. Um, I, one, think he's a phenomenal coach. I think he's really good at what he does. Something that's really difficult about gymnastics is you're talking about a very high level with a very young person. So that communication barrier is very difficult. A lot of kids don't know how to articulate those feelings yet. So it's almost the coach's job to read the body language of, is she tired today? Is she not wanting to do this anymore? Is she not feeling well? No matter what I ask her. And I think something he did very, very well from day one is his overall demeanor and kind of rule within the gym was if you do the work, like it, we respect each other here. So if I give you the assignment to do 50, 50 sit-ups, whatever it might be, and you do it and you count all 50 and you do it like with your head held high, that's awesome. We'll celebrate it. We'll do a game. I'll let you leave early, like whatever it was. And it was just kind of this give or take, give and take. And if you abuse that system, then you are no longer allowed to be at that gym. It, it was a, it was a very like you're you're honored to be here type situation. Interesting. Um, but if you earned that respect and you earned that place, it was it was rewarded by we're going to celebrate the sport of gymnastics and we're going to celebrate you being as a kid, like being a kid, and I'm going to trust you and you're going to trust me, and there would be days where I would be very, very tired 
to the point where like I was dragging and he'd be like, I think you need to go home today. Like he would even say like, go to Dairy Queen, go get a blizzard, come back next week. Like you need some time off. And he, he built that trust, I think just through discipline to a certain extent. Um, but it worked. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just interesting. And again, just piecing it together and kind of reflecting back on, on coaches I've had and maybe some of my methods and what I've been exposed to. It's just, it takes a special coach to find, we, we said balance earlier when you talked about your, your, your personal life as a young girl and balancing school, but, but there's also a balance to a coach where not everything is Dairy Queen and blizzards, right? Yeah. Not, but not everything is to the, you know, throttle down every no. day is a grind. Every, and the best coaches are the best re- at the relationship. They know yes. which kids can be pushed the hardest. They know which kid needs their arm <laughs> around them. And, and we yes. go through with some of our teams, like I, and, and more specifically, just in my own house with my three kids, how I can parent my 10 year old boy and how I can parent my nine year old daughter or my nine year old son are vastly different. Yes. If I jumped my oldest son, like, He'll he'll stone face it. He'll take it. He'll <laughs> yeah. I can he can really he can really kind of be kicked a little bit and pushed. Yeah. If I did that to my daughter or to my nine year old son, like they would they would go in their shell. So like the same yeah. thing on any good team, the same thing with any good coach. There is a level of standard. And it sounds like mm-hmm. from the you know, from from listening to you talk, there was a standard of an expectation. Yes. But there was also a humanity to it. Yes. Right? There was a humanity where we weren't just there as the next subject we weren't just there as the next athlete like there was a love there was a connection there was a a strong bond and those are the coaches that truly get it right and and I just and listening to you just like glow every time we bring them up like I can just see it I've never met you in person but I can just like see it this man is like a special person in your life he truly is I mean to the point where we you know haven't lived in the same place for many 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 years and when I had like the birth of my daughter he was one of the first people I called. And I was like, look at, I just had a little girl, you know, all these, whatever. Um, But he was brilliant at that. Exactly what you're saying. He coached every single individual in the gym different. And I remember going to the Olympics when Gabby Douglas was competing to support both of them because they were my teammates and I was retired at the time. And I remember, you know, talking to him and him kind of chuckling and him just saying, she's so different than you. You know, it just takes a whole different person from me to help her succeed. And I had never thought of it that way. I never, I've never thought about a coach drastically changing his technique and raising a gymnast. And it just made me see him a lot different. And he said, everything you need, she doesn't, but everything you know, you didn't need, she does. And it's just, it's so different there. That's so, it's so, it's just such a fascinating thing. And just it, special coaches are so hard to find, especially yeah. at the youth level. And when you find yeah. them, you got to wrap them up and protect them because they're, <laughs> yeah. they're the impact in the lives that the impact on lives that they can make, you know, your testament to that can last a lifetime. I, I want to just transition mm-hmm. a little bit forward now, obviously you're an Olympian, a gold medalist. I mean, highly accomplished. I mean, I remember, so the summer Olympics were always a big deal to me because we were always in training camp. Yeah. So it was always like at the end of the night after practice and it's hot and you're tired, we'd go back to our dorms after curfew and you'd put the TV on 
and you could watch the Olympics. And the Summer Olympics yes. I'd love because I love the gymnastics, I love the track and field, and I love the swimming. Right. Yes, so if those, if it got yes. to the point in the Olympics in that middle block where that was what was happening, it was must watch TV in the dorm. So like <laughs> yeah. every four years when we got the Olympics during camp, it was amazing. So I remember vividly watching you and Gabby Douglas and Nastia Lukin. Like I remember all these like household names. And when I think about the Olympics and I remember sitting there in training camp, the, the part that I was always so fascinated with you guys and had such respect for was we had constant feedback. We had constant levels, right? We had regular season games, playoff yep. games. And then if that didn't go the next year, we'd start all the way back over. So I had a practice to determine where I was. I had a workout. Like I always marveled at your ability, your personal, but just in your world, the Olympic mm -hmm. world specific, how you guys could train for years yeah. and you'd have your world championships and you'd have your other, you mm -hmm. know, panic, you'd have your other marquee events, but there was nothing like the Olympics. No. And based on how old you were, you could get one Olympic, maybe you'd get two based on all the age requirements. What is the process of staying motivated day in and day out when your ultimate life mission in your sport and your passion is so far away? Like, give me an insight into what that's like, because I, I don't pretend to know. And I can't imagine if I don't even know if I could handle it. Like, I, my brain would explode if I didn't have, like, something to check the box. Um, I would say the motivation is actually in gymnastics for me personally, uh -huh. it's actually easier than you would think because okay. every single year you're working to have a season. So I would still compete. I would still, you know, train place, but every single year I was training to make it to the next level. Okay. So there was almost this motivation of, I need to do really well this year so I can make it to the next level so I can make it to the next level year after year after year so that I can hit that plan at the end. And what that would look like with training was new skills, new routines, bigger challenges, um, harder obstacles. And it just started getting to be this like addictive kind of year after year thing. I wasn't playing, you know, this, I think what fascinates me about football and my husband and you guys is like, I, I never did the same thing year after year. It changed literally every single year. It was a new sport every year. I would literally open like my playbook and be like, I've never even seen these skills before. I don't know how to start them. I don't know how to like whatever. And that was my motivator for years was just, I just want to do a harder skill. And then those last few years before the Olympics were more the serious ones of, Let's start the countdown. It's a thousand days away. And what it is, what is it that I want to look, uh, what is it that I want to do at the Olympics? How do I want to look? And let's work backwards. And it's very intimidating because when you get to the Olympics, I was busting at the seams. I was just like, don't for a second lose my focus and yeah. <laughs> mess this moment up. But I don't know. It's it's just a very long race and it's it was fun. It is. It was a lot of fun. Now are there so so answer me this, is there a bunch of like different timelines? Like is there a seasonal timeline? Like and who's yes. orchestrating this? Is it your coach? Is it a collection of people? Like is someone saying, Okay, here's our goals for Sean Johnson in two thousand and seven. We're gonna we're you know, the Olympics are in two thousand eight. All right, so it's two thousand six. We'll go back two years before, right? And it's all right, we need to learn these skills and these different 
apparatuses and these different events. Okay, great. That's how it's going to affect this season. But then there's also this larger timeline of one calendar year. Then there's the thousand day countdown to the Olympics. Like who's managing those timelines? Who's giving you your quote unquote playbook and saying, all right, Sean, you need to develop these three skills because we're going to implement them into whichever routine or whichever apparatus. Like who's driving that ship? Who's coming up with these ideas? Who's laying out your calendar for the next thousand days? Like that gives me anxiety just thinking about it. I know. So this is something I learned about with my personal journey after I was retired. And my coach did all of that. He had like an eight-year plan for me. And down to the science of like the skills and how – so people ask us all the time, I say us as gymnasts, like I want to learn a back tuck. How do I do that? And how did I learn a double twisting double back? And it's not like we just sought out to learn that skill on a certain day. That's like an eight-year timeline skill that we would learn progressively over and over again. And with my coach, he meticulously wrote out this plan of we're going to start with a somersault on day one that's going to end up being the double-twisting double-back at the Olympics in 2008. It's so crazy to me. It's, I, like, I can't it's even so compliment. Wild. It's fascinating yeah. to me. Like, I, me too. I, I, I can't. It's so hard for me to wrap my head. Like, the notion of eight years before I was in the NFL, right? So if you if you had an eight-year yeah. plan, so from 2000 till the Olympics of 2008, if I think back eight years before I played my first NFL snap, say, I'm in sixth grade. And at no point <laughs> yeah. am I running yeah. a route on a sixth-grade boys and girls club football field saying, all right, the way I run this route today and the footwork and the leverage and what – this is going to pay off in eight years because one day I'm going to catch this on Sunday to win the to win the playoff game. Like, I just marvel at your ability to be so consistent and so disciplined and and have not only have an eight year plan or a two year plan yeah. or a thousand day plan, but then you got to stick to it. The plan's easy. Yeah, everyone's got a plan, and then you got to do it. I I will say though, I agree. Had I been older and been more privy to that. I don't know if I would have been capable of doing that. Interesting. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because understanding that magnitude would have psyched me out. And I would have yeah. been like, I can't become that. Back back in the day when I was training, I knew none of this. And all I remember is being able to go into the gym and my coach would be like, "You want, he always called it shopping around. He's like, do you want to shop around skills today? Which means you get to get a big foam pit and just go wild and try all these crazy things and see what sticks. And that just, that it just gave me life. I loved it. I loved the challenge of here's a new skill that makes me feel like I might die. Um, how can I learn to land it on a four inch beam? And that's what I lived for. And it somehow ended up at the Olympics. I don't know how that part happened. <laughs> It's, it's so crazy. Dr. Gervais would say there's, there's guided learning and then there's discovery, right? Someone yeah. stands next to you. He used the analogy when we talked to him. He said, I can teach you how to shoot a basketball, tuck your elbow, lift it up, shoot. Or I could say, hey, Sean, you want to learn to shoot a basketball? Yeah, I would love to. Okay, here's the ball. There's the hoop. Yeah. I'll see you in an hour. So like that, and, he, and his point was, he goes, there's a time and a place for everything. He said the discovery component, what you're talking about is, all right, here's Sean, here's a foam pit flip around, figure yeah. it out. He said in the short term, the guided the guided learning will create better results quicker, but over the long term of truly mastering skills and mastering a sport or a technique, 
discovery, he said, is actually the long-term solution. So it's, it doesn't surprise me when you talk about these longer timelines that your coach is implementing this discovery type of setting for you to explore and figure out without someone holding your hand, teaching you every step of the way. That's very interesting. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, he did. That is cool. He's a, I, he's a lot smarter than I thought back in the day. He sounds a lot <laughs> smarter than all of us. Uh, before I, <laughs> yeah. I want to, I at the end, I, I really want to talk about now you as a mother and a, and a wife and, and a lot of the work that you do with Family Made and your platform. The, the one last thing before we go there that I want to get perspective on, because I think this is so important in today's world with mental health and people dealing with failure and adversity. And it was a big story, obviously, at the last Summer Olympics with Simone Biles. Mm -hmm. And, you mm -hmm. know, obviously she withdrew and she was dealing with a lot of things. And she came under scrutiny from a lot of different people, unfairly, unjustly, fairly. However, we're not going to, I don't want to, I'm not going to ask you to weigh in on that. But I do want to get your perspective on how you approached any sort of anxiety, any sort of fear, any sort of, you know, I, I, I felt it every single game. You know, people call it, you know, butterflies or people call it, that's real, right? The performance anxiety and, the, and, and, and all of a sudden getting in your own mind, that's real. I mean, in, in, our, in our case, you know, people get the drops where you've caught a million balls and all of yep. a sudden you just, you don't see it. It's not hitting your hands right and it's all mental. You didn't forget how to catch the ball. You're just, you can't get out of your own way or a, or a guy stands over a putt and he's got the yips and he just can't have a smooth yep. stroke. So when you hear Simone or, and you look back to your time competing at the highest level in the world, what was your approach for dealing with any uncertainty or any moments where you started second guessing your own abilities? I mean, this was a life that you, you committed to this. What, what did that process look like for you? Um, my coach was very good at handling it. So I got the yips, the drops, what Simone went through. Every gymnast goes through it. It's literally what you said when you can't get out of your own way. Um, and I think for Simone, I could speak on that. I, I think she, there's so much. She had so much pressure. Yeah. Um, real quick, a thought on that, just because. Please, yeah, please, yeah, of course. I thought it was one of the coolest things we will, we have ever seen in history, what she did. It was very hard to watch in the moment because she's so good. Um, but because of everything that has come to light in gymnastics over the yeah. past four plus years, the world of gymnasts, boy, girl, any age, anything you could imagine, um, was taught that we didn't have a voice. We couldn't control anything of ourselves because we were children. So we were always taught from day one, the voice was our coach, our superior, whatever that was. Um, I truly believe Simone made history for every little girl and boy because she showed that on the biggest stage, with the biggest pressure, with the loudest voices, she made a decision for herself. Yep. And it was incredible for me to witness. I, I think she changed a lot of people's lives that are coming into the sport, which made me very, very happy. Um, on the other side, the yips and drops and all of that, we call them um, mental blocks and gymnastics, or people call them twisties or all these different yeah. things. Um, my coach it's, would say it's exactly what you said. It's not being able to get out of your own way. So your body knows how to do it, but your mind starts to question. And he always told me the analogy of, it's like this white wall in front of you. You think b behind the white wall is bricks when it's actually just paper. And he said, if you have the, the courage to go through it, it's the easiest thing to get through, but you can second guess yourself and feel like you're going to get hurt. And what my coach would always do, 
is if I ever got a mental block, if I had the luxury of not being in a competition or something, he'd say, go take the day off. He's like, you're done. Your mind's, your mind is overthinking and questioning your ability. And he'd say, take a day off, go have fun, get your mind off of gymnastics. And I would take a day, a few days, a week off just to kind of refresh. And something else he would do is he was very good at celebrating failure. Um, I think a huge issue for athletes is when you start to get that second guess kind of yips, whatever it is, you get very insecure about yourself. You get very worried. You get very tight. You get very uh, like stressed. And that just only amplifies the problem. And my coach would always, from the get-go, whether we fell, whether we got a mental block, he'd be like, okay, that means we're doing something right. And he just made it seem like it was so little, which made the problem smaller, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. I think that's a really interesting approach. Yeah. And I think in Simone's situation, she wasn't protected enough from all of the pressure and stress from the world. And she wasn't allowed to, to succeed in what she, what she did. Yeah. Unfortunately it fell in the biggest two week window of her life. If it yeah. fallen six, if she would have went through that, I mean, there's no, there's no predictor of when that's going to happen, right? It happens yeah. to all of us. I can remember offhand all the times where, where you kind of find yourself in your own head. It just so happened that it happened to her. In the yeah. middle of the Olympics. Well, I appreciate your perspective on that. I think it's really interesting insight, both of yours and, and your coach, Chow, and also just sharing your perspective on what Simone went through. It was obviously a, international story at the time that yeah. we all kind of witnessed with different perspectives from afar. Um, before I let you go, um, your family, um, family made you and your husband, Andrew, you're very open. You're very, you're out there sharing resources. You're sharing perspectives. You're raising two young children, a daughter and a son. Um, I would just love to hear, you know, now as you look back on a lot of the things that we've just covered and, and reflecting on those times, I get asked all the time, you know, how does your career or what you did, like, how do you carry that forward to raising your own children? I say, well, my kids don't have to play football. If they do, great. I'll support them. They don't have to. You know, I get that question all the time. So I guess the easy question is, like, jokingly and fun, like, would you encourage your daughter to go play, to do gymnastics at age five? And would you encourage your your young son to follow in dad's football, you know, steps and play football? But more so, like, what are the lessons that you take from your experience, not only through gymnastics, but just through the opportunities gymnastics presented to you, the life lessons, the traveling the world, the perspective you've gained? Like, how do you now carry that forward to being a relatively new mother of the last, you know, three three years? Uh, your oldest is almost three. She's, yeah, almost three. She'll be three this, at the end of the year? Yep. How do these experiences that you went through, like, how does that shape you now as a mother, as a wife, and now sharing this with the world as you do daily well I will say it sets a massive pressure on me because I just don't want to mess it up um I just want to be a good mom and my husband just wants to be a good dad and I don't know what that looks like other than we love our children so much as far as gymnastics unfortunately my daughter is already in it and she already (laughs) loves it but fortunately she is massive she takes after my husband and I think she'll probably outgrow the sport by the time she's five she will be my height in a year it's it's um, so funny you said my daughter is very tall. She's nine. She did yeah. gymnastics when she was little. And I would sit there like in the corner with, it'd be like with all the moms and I'd be like sitting yeah. in the corner and they'd be, <laughs> and you know, doing her thing and walking the beam and all that. And I'd be like, oh, I just don't want to break her heart because she really likes it. I know. She, she taught herself yeah. like some different stuff. She doesn't do it like highly competitively or anything, but like, 
I was like, oh, girl, I feel bad. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. she's going to be 5'11". You know what yep. I mean? Like, I'm sorry, girl, but even if you love it, I just don't know if you're going to. So it's funny to hear yeah. you kind of share I, that same perspective. Yeah, I'm kind of thankful. I love gymnastics. And if yeah. she loved gymnastics and that's what she wants to do, I will sit there and tape my mouth shut and be the best cheerleader. But that's all I'm going to do. Um, as far as like our kids in general, though, I think the life lessons that I just in sport, I, I want them to find something. And I will try my hardest to give them every opportunity to try it all. Um, and I will encourage them, you know, to have the commitment with it and not be persuaded to quit because it's hard or there's a roadblock or they're not good at it. But I, I want them to truly find something that they love. And I will celebrate the crap out of them because that's what kids need. And I just want them to have fun. And I think, I think if I can help them find whatever that is, they'll they'll do okay yeah i'm sure they will and, and i just think it's so cool as i was preparing for this conversation and i'll let you go you know just coming you know seeing your social feed and seeing some of the blogs and, and the following that you have of of not just moms but parents husbands fathers everyone in between like the following that you have on social and your family made platform and just sharing your family story and you and your husband and raising young kids and, and you said it you just want to be a good mom and he wants to be a good dad I get it. And I don't know what the answer, like everyone yeah. says that and we <laughs> yeah. all want that, but we're all out here kind of searching on a daily basis, what that exactly means. I just think it's so cool for someone that has achieved what you've achieved and, and gone to the heights that you've gone literally and figuratively, I guess, um, <laughs> like to be able to share that perspective, I can really relate to that. Cause that was the inspiration behind this show, right? I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I do have the perspective where I can go out and have conversations with people like you who can provide different insight, different experiences, and hopefully through a combination of all these unique conversations, families and our viewers can sit home and be like, I have the same frustrations, I have the same anxieties, the same fears of raising my children. I'm glad I'm not alone. I'm glad mm -hmm. other people are having similar conversations. So to just just to see you on a daily basis, engage with your fans and your following and share your struggles, share your concerns but also share your triumphs and your and I just I just really commend you for that because it's not easy in today's world to be vulnerable it's not easy in today's yeah. world to share fear so I, I just really commend you and and Andrew for for doing that on a daily basis through your platforms thank you I mean it, it's come from a I feel like it stemmed from a weird place in both the NFL and gymnastics back in the day I felt like there was such an immense pressure to be perfect and to only show that strong side of you. And it was like, don't ever let your competitors see your weaknesses. And it was all of, it was just this um, built up pressure to be someone that we weren't. And we got so tired of it. And it's so isolating to not feel like you can be human. And I didn't think that was a good thing to teach my children. So we both decided that the more raw and vulnerable we can be in showing that we are human, but we can overcome that or not overcome being human, but overcome yeah. obstacles and triumphs, tribulations and everything, then it's a more, it's just a happier world, I guess. <laughs> well, I have one more thing and I'm going to let you go before you do. If, if, if we ask all of our guests uh, a series of questions, I'm only going to ask you one because I know we're in a time crunch. <laughs> if you could apply what you know now, like what do you know now that you wish you knew at the start of this race? Like, is there one piece oh of perspective gosh. you learned along the way that you would love to share somewhere? There's a mom and a dad who has a young daughter or a young son. It doesn't have to be gymnastics related. That's yeah. just starting this journey. 
and now you're looking back as a highly accomplished, you know, world-renowned athlete in your own right. What inf- what piece of what one piece of information would you want to share with them as they kind of start mm. this journey? Put you a on the spot. million different things. Yeah, I'm but sure. The first thing that came to mind to like parents and even myself, um, having fun is a good thing. It's a really good thing, and I only say that because since my coach was kind of paving a new path of this fun, lighthearted mentality in an elite sport, I had so many people questioning whether I was going to be successful. And they questioned my talent. They questioned my coach. They questioned the upbringing. They questioned everything. And I doubted myself a lot that maybe I should be sacrificing school and my friendships and my extracurricular activities. And maybe I should not eat blizzards after practice or pancake, whatever it was. And I think it would be very easy for even parents to say, oh, should we move to the state next door to work with that really special coach? And should we uproot everything? And I I think at the end of the day, if your kid is having fun, that is all that matters. And there might be harder decisions later down the road, like you said, in high school and college. But I think, I think kids are meant to have fun. So, well, I appreciate that. And again, your time today, you were super generous with your time and your insight and you just offer such a great voice for this journey and we're just kind of starting out. So I, I just, I thank you so much for, for agreeing to come on and and chat with me and kind of do a little self-reflecting and also a little (laughs) kind of looking to the future now as, as you raise your two young children. So Sean, thank you so much. This was a treat. I remember watching you in the Olympics and cheering for you guys and the other girls so it's super cool to have a conversation and tell andrew your husband i said what's up i'm sure i will said before the show we have a lot of mutual friends i'm sure along the (laughs) way yes thank you so much much. my pleasure sean johnson thank you so much i mean what a conversation i mean to to have an olympic gold medalist someone like sean johnson who just has such a unique perspective and What I think hopefully everyone took from this, anyone who didn't follow Olympic sports or didn't follow gymnastics, is just the amount of commitment and sacrifice that these young girls make. I mean, Sean's talking about starting at three, four, five years old. She's talking about entering this elite path of gymnastics in first grade. I just just marvel at it's it's a lifetime commitment for really one two-week moment in the summer, hopefully – you can get two Olympics, but for someone like Sean, she made one Olympics. She made her entire life. She had worlds and she had different annual competitions, but there's nothing like the Olympics. And here she was kind of laying out what did that, what did that roadmap look like? You know, and, and the two things that I think just really stuck out to me, the first thing is just a father. Listening to her talk about how important it was for her mother and father at a young age when Sean said, I was so passionate, no one had to push me. No one, they had to pull me back. And listening to her describe what balance meant in her life and what balance meant to her family from a parental standpoint, I I think is super relevant and timely for today's conversation around youth sports. We see so many times where it's the opposite. We see so many times where parents are pushing their kids to play on more teams. And they, if you don't, if you, if you go to that sleepover tonight or you go to that prom or that dance or whatever it is, you're going to miss practice or you're going to miss an opportunity to make this team. And in this case, it was Sean saying, I want more. I want more. And the parents said, you'll get more when you get older. 
We're going to cut down on your hours. You're going to run track and field. You're going to play other sports. You're going to go to, you're going to, go to your school events as a young child. You're going to go have sleepovers with your friends. And I think it's so important to understand that within the context of gymnastics, that was a very new way of thinking. And I think that's where her coach, Liang Chow, I mean, every time I would bring up Coach Chow's name, you could just see it on her face that she would just light up. I mean, here's a guy who came over to America and just by his sheer grace of God opened up a facility right a mile from her hometown. And his entire approach to gymnastics was, I'm going to flip this sport on its head. Remember, this is the time of the Carolis, the camps in Texas where people would send their young child, boy or girl, away to a sleepaway camp. They'd live on a campground. It'd be eight hours a day, in your face, no other life, homeschool. It was a lifestyle choice. And here, Lang Chow, he comes to America, and he says, no, I can do this differently. And he moves a mile down the road from one of the most driven, competitive young girls in the country, in the world for that matter, in Sean Johnson in Des Moines, Iowa. And he sets up a camp that not only fulfills her competitive spirit at a young age, but also aligns with the way her family wanted her to experience this. That alignment and that approach of saying, no, all my, all my students that I train are going to be full-time enrolled in traditional school. All of my children, we're going to cap their hours of their age. You're going to go to sleepovers. If you're having a bad day, she told the story of he would say, all right, you're having a bad day. Go home. Stop at Dairy Queen. You need a break. You're mentally spent. You're tired. I mean, how many coaches would do that? How many coaches would put the, the young child above their own self-interest and ego where all these coaches saying, I need to train an Olympian? But it wasn't about that. It was about bringing out the best in each individual child. And then the, to, to that extent, you heard her talk when, when she went and supported Gabby Douglas at the Olympics um, that following year. And, and, and she's sitting there supporting Coach Chow and Gabby Douglas. And he said to her, he said, everything you need, she doesn't need. And everything you didn't need, she needs. And I just think that really sums up the goal and the role of a youth coach. You need to find what it is that makes this individual child tick. And it's going to be different, and it could be stressful, and it could be exhausting and frustrating, but it's your job to find it. And once you find it, you got to lean in on it. Some kids need to be kicked and prodded and pushed to bring out their best. Other kids, you need to put their arm around them and tell them you love them and tell them they need a break and that you're proud of them. There's different ways to motivate. There's different ways to parent. And I just think that her sharing those personal stories pro provided such unique insight that I know I'm going to take back as being a parent. I'm going to take some of those practices and some of that insight to maybe reevaluate some of the things that I do, coaching my youth teams, coaching my own, two my own three children's teams. I, I just think that was such an incredible conversation. She was raw. She was open. She, she shared some personal stories, some personal struggle, triumph. And that's what we're trying to do here at Think. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. And I hope you guys continue to stay with us. I hope you guys continue to go along on this journey as we explore this crazy, complicated, but amazing world of youth sports. Our goal here at Think is to continue to provide you with all the tools, all the insight, and all the resources so that you can continue to make the best decisions possible for your child. So continue to follow along with us. Come along on this journey as we continue to navigate this crazy, frustrating, wild, ever-changing, but at the end of the day, just incredible world of youth sports. So thank you again. Another great episode of You Think brought to you by Audiorama and our friends at Invisalign. Thanks again and hope to see you next week.